I'm Vanessa Pritchard. Welcome to this podcast from Keep Believing Ministries. Today's message was given by Dr. Ray Pritchard. At Keep Believing Ministries, we want to encourage and equip people to keep believing in Jesus. You can find us online at www.keepbelieving.com. Stay tuned for this special podcast. I want to ask you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 12. We're going to pick up the story in verse 18. Acts 12, verse 18, for a message entitled, The Day the King Died. This is the story of a man who got too big for his britches. This is the story of a man who thought he didn't need God. Who thought he could live without God. My friends, I will tell you the application up front. You cannot fight God and win. That's the lesson for today. As the poet said, your arms are too short to box with God. Here's a man who thought he didn't need God. And all of a sudden, his life was over. This is the story of a man who forgot the truth. And the most basic truth of all is, he's God and we're not. You forget that at your own peril. His name, this king's name is very interesting. This king's name is Herod. Herod Agrippa I. Herod Agrippa I. We've heard the name Herod before. He is the grandson of King Herod. The man who was called Herod the Great. He was the king. King Herod was the man who was in power when Jesus was born. King Herod the Great was the man who ordered the slaughter of the baby boys of Bethlehem. That's this man's grandfather. Now, when Jesus was tried before King Herod in about the year A.D. 33, that's a different Herod. That's Herod Antipas. He's the man who tried Jesus and laughed at him and said, work a miracle. Show me who you really are, who thought Jesus was just a laughing matter. This man, Herod the Great, then comes from these two lines. Grandson of King Herod, nephew of Herod Antipas. His name, Agrippa, he was called Agrippa the Great. As a side note, the Jews had no use for the Herodian line because the Herodian line was was they considered the Herods half-breeds. Because the Herod, the Herodian line, was partly Jewish and partly Edomite. And if you know your Old Testament history, Edom was a sworn enemy of the nation of Israel. And so all the days of the Herods, the Jews who were godly and observant, had no use for them at all. Now, the year is A.D., 44. Herod Agrippa I is in his glory. He is on top of the world. He sits on his throne and nobody can stand against him. He has one day to live. 
He doesn't know what's about to happen to him. Now, the story of Acts 12, we got to step back and just put this whole, this story of King Herod, Agrippa the first, we got to put it in context of the whole story of Acts 12. And if I were to give Acts 12 a title, I would call it something like the church on the firing line. Because when Acts 12 opens and as it develops, here is the story at the beginning of Acts 12. James, the brother of John, who wrote the Gospel of John, James has been murdered, ordered murdered, by King Herod Agrippa I. Peter, the Apostle Peter, has been thrown in jail. The church is huddled behind closed doors in a desperate prayer meeting. Herod not only sits on the throne, it appears as if he is on a rampage. No one can stop him. But I want to say to you, God says, why do the heathen rage? And the people imagine a vain thing. God sees and He knows. God saw what Herod Agrippa I was doing. And though it seemed for a while that He would get away with it, as we shall see in this story, no one gets away with anything. Though the wheels of God grind slowly, they grind exceeding small. With patience, He stands waiting. With exactness, grinds He all. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. So at the beginning of the story, the bad guys, the bad guys are ruling the day, and the good guys apparently are taking it on the chin. But God took note of what Herod was doing. If you come to the end of the story, which we'll get to in just a moment, by the end of chapter 12, watch this. Peter is free. Herod is dead. And the church is growing. In between, Peter is thrown into prison. It appears that he's under guard 24 hours a day. Four Roman soldiers around him 24 hours a day. He's not only behind bars, he's under such a guard that humanly speaking, he will never get out of jail. The church begins to pray. You remember the story because you've been over this. The church begins to pray. The angel shows up, sets Peter free. Peter comes to the prayer meeting. Knock on the door. Remember? Open the door. It's Peter. Nobody could believe it could possibly be Peter. You're in prison. What are you doing here? The church is overjoyed. And at the end of that story, verse 17, Peter simply says, Go tell James and the other brothers. Go tell them. And then he disappears. The Bible says he goes to another place. He goes down to Caesarea, there to be safe from the rampages of Herod. We pick up the story now in verse 18. At daylight, meaning the day after Peter was set free by the angel. Got it? Very next day, very next morning, there is a great commotion. Well, I guess so, among the soldiers. Because nobody knew. When the angel came, he evidently put them to sleep somehow. So he let Peter out, led him out, putting the soldiers to sleep. So they have no idea what has happened. 
They wake up. Uh-oh, it's bad news. Peter is gone. Because there was a rule in the Roman Empire that whenever a prisoner was held under guard, watch this, it's a Roman law. When a prisoner was held under Roman guard, if that prisoner escaped, the law was the guards who were there when he escaped, whatever punishment was intended for the prisoner would be meted out to the guards. That's exactly what happens in this story. After Herod, verse 19, had searched and did not find him, he interrogated the guards and ordered their execution. That may have been, that may seem cruel, but at least we can say this much. He was doing nothing more than following the law of that day. Then Herod went down from Judea to Caesarea, that's Caesarea Maritima, Caesarea by the sea. Those of you who have been with Pastor Jack or somebody else to the Holy Land, you've been to Caesarea. You've seen the, the, the amazing, the 2,000 years later, the amazing ruins that are still there, the amphitheater that is still there in Caesarea. They still have concerts in that beautiful amphitheater down by the sea. You can see why Herod would go down there. It's a great place to rest and relax. It's right on the Mediterranean Sea. That's where he went to. Now, following verses tell us a little story. As far as Herod's concerned, that, that affair up in Jerusalem, that affair with Peter, that's done. He doesn't know where Peter is. He's ordered the guards executed. They're gone. He's down at the vacation. He's not even thinking about Peter because Peter doesn't even now show up on his radar at all. Now, watch this. Up north of the Holy Land, in the, in the area that we today would call Lebanon, if you go, say, Sea of Galilee, Jordan River, Dead Sea, Mediterranean Sea here, if you just go up, just go up north out of the Holy Land into the modern-day region of Lebanon, there are two port cities. One is called Tyre. One is called Sidon. Those are cities that were important going way back into the days of the Old Testament. That was the region of the Old Testament called Phoenicia. And, um, and, and in the Old Testament, that was a center of Canaanite worship. So the people who were there in the old days were the sworn enemies of the people of God. Now, by the time you get to A.D. 44, a lot of that Old Testament stuff has passed away. Tyre and Sidon are important port cities. They, they, they did business from all over the Mediterranean. And, and for some reason, and the text doesn't tell us, for some reason, the folks up in Tyre and Sidon had gotten crossways with King Herod Agrippa I. Maybe they weren't paying him enough. Maybe he wanted more money, more tax. We don't really know. But somehow, up here in Tyre and Sidon, they got crossways with King Herod Agrippa, and he cut off their trade, which was... That, that basically was like uh, putting a tourniquet around the economies of those two cities. So, what do you do? What do you do when you... See, in Tyre and Sidon, they didn't have a religious problem. They had a political problem. They had an economic issue. So what did they do? They got in touch with a man by the name of Blastus. B-L-A-S-T-U-S. This is all in your text. He was King Herod's treasurer. Okay? The money. Here's the money man. What do you think they did when they talked to Blastus? Well, they did what people always do. Let's make a deal. 
So they made some kind of deal. There was something, there was something going on there. They were paying off Blastus, something like that. Because they thought if we can get on the treasurer's good side, the king will change his mind and the economy will be fine. And evidently that's what happened. And see, all this is just a setup to, to what's about to happen to the king. He goes down to Caesarea. And there's the problem up in Tyre and Sidon, but there's a payoff or something. And, and they're trying to, the people up, up in the port cities are trying to work it out with the king. So, now, they work it out. By the way, the story I'm about to tell you, we know at least part of it from outside the Bible. A, a Jewish historian by the name of Josephus, you've heard of him? Josephus wrote, he wrote about what happened to King Herod Agrippa I. And for the most part, it goes exactly down the line with what we're told here in Acts 12. Now, there was a great, there was a great festival in Caesarea. We're told by Josephus, not by the book of Acts, but we're told that the festival was to honor one of the Caesars from Rome. Okay? So it's a great day. We'd say it's like Memorial Day or Fourth of July or Labor Day. It's a great celebration. The king, on that day of celebration, got dressed. Josephus said he wore silver. He wore a silver-plated costume, so bright, so finely polished, that the sunlight, you almost had to, you almost, and the people sitting in that amphitheater, the same one that you see when you go to the Holy Land, the people sitting there would have to shade their eyes. So great was the brilliance of the, of the, of the, of the silver that the king wore. Look on verse 21. On an appointed day, Dressed in royal robes and seated on the throne, Herod delivered a speech to the multitudes. Must have been a good speech because the, because the people began to shout, it's the voice of God, not the voice of a man. By the way, this whole thing is totally believable. Every part of this, I think, happened exactly this way. Understand, Herod's not a believing man. He's got some religion. I'm going to mention that. He's not a believing man in any biblical sense of the word. And the people who were there that day, the folks that came down there from Tyre and Sidon, they're not believers. They're, they're trying to work out this economic deal to get the money flowing and the commerce flowing back toward them. There are thousands of people there. And, and this is, this is nothing to do with the worship of God. So when this man who has complete power and he's dressed in this Beautiful, bright, shiny, silver costume. And the sunlight is glinting off of it. And he's making the speech. And the people are cheering, cheering, Herod, 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 Herod. And somebody shouts, Voice of God, not of man. Voice of God, not of man. Voice of God, not of man. Totally believable. By the way, that's the way the world works still today. Nothing has really changed. I just want to say to you, Herod, Loved it. He wasn't bothered by this at all. Look at verse 23. At once, an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God. He was eaten by worms and died. Here is my recreation. Suddenly, he felt something in his side. 
feeling of something ripping him apart on the inside. And then pain, terrible pain, hideous pain, frightful pain, pain so terrible that he doubled over, fell to the ground, screaming in agony. The shocked crowd was silent throughout the amphitheater, packed with people. Only one sound could be heard, the piercing screams of the man they had come to hear. Screams of pain so awful, the women covered their ears, men turned their faces away. He lay there, the king did, writhing in uncontrollable pain, clutching, grasping, choking, and just when he thought he could bear it no more, another jolt of pain from his belly would hit, and he would shriek in utter fear. His men were there. The top assistant was there. The ambassadors from those two cities were there. And they looked on horrified, not believing, not believing that the Great One Himself was laying there like that. Finally, finally, they sprang into action, carrying Him back to His home. The triumphant leader, now delirious with pain, not knowing where He was. They laid Him on His bed, still screaming, but now semi-conscious, only long, low wails and mad muttering. The doctors came and went and shook their heads. They were sorry. There was nothing they could do. The next day, he turned yellow, feverish, screaming again. The next day, worse. The third day, the pain grew yet more. And a strange, awful odor rose from the man. A foul smell, familiar yet hard to place. The next day, the screaming stopped. He was dead. When they examined him, what they found shocked them beyond words. They found worms. He had literally been eaten alive by worms. He had died. They had buried him. And that was the end of King Herod Agrippa I. The playboy, the politician, the ruthless killer, the vain, proud leader was dead. He tried to stop the church. He had James the apostle put to death. He had Peter put into prison, meaning to kill him. He even killed the guards who were on duty when Peter escaped. He went to the seaside, to Caesarea, his capital, to rest, relax. He settled his quarrel with Tyre and Sidon. He went to the amphitheater to speak to the people. He wore his best robe, sat in the official chair, Gave his best speech. Now, he is dead of worms. Dead at the height of his glory. Dead at the moment of triumph. Dead and gone. Never, never to return again. Herod the king, dead of worms. I got a question for you. Why did this man died. Why did he die? The answer, my friends, is terrifying. The Bible says Herod died, quote, because he did not give God the glory. You look at this story 
And you wonder what that might mean. After all, he did not literally blaspheme God. It's not as if he said, hey, I'm God. He didn't knock religion. In fact, Herod, to a degree, was a religious man. He scrupulously kept all the Jewish feast days. And he observed their laws as much as he could because he wanted to win their favor. He wasn't anti-religious in any sense. That I tell you is part of the frightening truth of this story. Whatever he did, it was quiet, it was subtle, it was hard to notice. On the outside, as I said, you can make a case for him being tolerably religious. I think, again, that's frightening. Because the problem was not on the outside, it was on the inside. So, I just stand back and I look at this story. And I just, I just kind of think about it. I've been thinking about this story this week. He wore a royal robe. But, but that's what he was supposed to do. He sat on the judgment seat. But where else would the king sit? He made a speech. Big deal. Politicians make speeches all the time. The more you look at it, the more puzzling it becomes. What did he do that was so bad? I mean, bad enough for worms. Now, now I know he persecuted the church. And I know he killed James. And I know he put Peter in prison. And I know he had the guards killed. So I'm not saying he was a nice guy. I am not saying that. And any of those things, any of them alone, any of them alone would be worthy of death and put them together. He's really worthy of death. But none of those things are even mentioned or hinted at as the reason for his death. Whatever he did, it was on the inside, not the outside. It was subtle, not overt. It was with the pretext of religion, not without it. It was serious enough to merit death, but it was not obvious. So much so that Luke has to spell it out or we would miss the point altogether. Herod died because he did not give God the glory. And that ought to make all of us stop and think. All of us. So I I wondered what this meant. There's a lot of verses in the Bible about the glory of God. But I found two that really helped me understand the story. The first one is Isaiah 42, verse 8, where God says, I am the Lord. That is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to graven images. God will not share His glory with anybody. The Creator will not share His glory with the creature. Herod died because he put himself in the place of God. He tried to rob God of his glory. God will not tolerate a man or woman who tries to take that which belongs only to God and take it for yourself. Herod tried that and he died. It's just that fact that gives me pause. When the people said, Voice of God, not of man. Voice of God, not of man. Voice of God, not of man. Herod didn't say a word. He didn't wave his hands. He didn't try to stop them. He didn't say, hey, settle down, settle down. It's enough of that. 
He didn't stop them because he actually liked the sound of those words. He didn't try to stop them and he died. He did what all humans do. He let it pass. He rationalized it away. And in their silly, vain flattery, they attributed to Herod what only belongs to God. Is that a comment to you? Comment? The human tendency for all of us, all of us, the human tendency is to pull yourself up from the bottom by effort and hard work. To put a lot of stock in your good looks, your nice figure, your bright mind, your good vocabulary, the credit rating, your bank account, your company earnings, your home, your fine clothes, your hard work, your good grades, your athletic or musical ability, your intelligence, and all of that. The tendency is for all of us to look at who we are and what we've done and what we've accomplished and say, see, I did that. I did that. There's something in all of us that wants to take credit for what we think we've done. When people begin to flatter you, hey, you're really great at that. What a good business mind you have. You're really smart. Your home is fabulous. How did you ever make it look so nice? You smile and you say nothing and you halfway believe it. And just to be clear, I'm not really talking about you. I'm really talking about me. I mean, we're all in the same boat together, right? We're all in the same boat. There's something in all of us. And and by the way, I am for honest praise and I am for kind compliments and I am for saying good words that encourage other people. But we got to be careful, don't we? Got to be careful. When Once you start, well, you know what they say. A man begins to go down the moment he begins to believe his own PR, right? <laughs> a man's going down the minute he starts to believe those press releases. When you do, you rob God of his glory. You put yourself in his place. You accept credit for what he has done in your life. You commit the sin of Herod. Second verse. This one's a little more heavy. Revelation 16.9, talking about the, the, the bold judgments at the end of the tribulation period. And men were scorched with fierce heat, meaning these unbelievers faced the terrible judgments of the tribulation and they blasphemed the name of God who has the power over the plagues and they did not repent so as to give Him glory. What's the cure for pride? Repentance. What's the cure for boasting? Repentance. What's the cure for the big head? Repentance. What's the cure for being too big for your britches? It's repentance. Nothing glorifies God quite as much as true repentance. Because when you repent, you are saying, God, you were right all along. And I was wrong. So that was Herod's sin. He tried to put himself in the place of God. He tried to rob God of his glory. He refused to let God rule his life. So, what shall we write over the story of King Herod Agrippa I? Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. But even that's not the end of the story. Read on down. Herod's dead. The worms have gotten him. He's gone. Dead and gone. Story's not quite over. Verse 24. But the Word of God flourished and multiplied. 
Herod the Great. Agrippa. They called him. His grandfather was Herod the Great, so they called him Agrippa the Great. Agrippa the Great. Dead and gone. Eaten by worms. But the Word of God flourished and multiplied. You see, in the early church, they didn't have political power. The Roman Empire wasn't set up that way. You had the emperor. You had a system. The early church, they didn't have political power. In fact, in the early church, they only had one power. Had the power of prayer. Which is in this chapter. They didn't have, they didn't have a representative they could call, or letters they could write, or strings they could pull, people they could talk to. They only had the power of prayer. So let's go back, and now let's look at this chapter again. Beginning of chapter 12. Herod is on a rampage. James has been murdered. Peter's in jail. The guards have been murdered. Herod is on a roll. When this chapter begins, the good guys are taking it on the chin and the bad guys are having a field day. Come now to the end of the chapter. Herod is dead. Peter is free. The church is on a roll. My friends, let us learn the lesson. Number one, to give God the glory, right? Always give God the glory. Don't boast. It's bad for your health. Let me say that again. Don't boast. It's bad for your health. The worms are everywhere. <laughs> Don't boast. Bad for your health. My friends, you cannot fight God and win. You cannot. Your arms, they're too short to box with God. Here's the good news, and we want to end on some good news. The beginning of this chapter, the bad guys are winning, and the good guys apparently are losing. The end of this chapter, the bad guys have been routed, and the good guys are winning as the gospel is spreading everywhere. Tyrants reign for a moment, but they will not last. The empire of the evil will be broken. Or to borrow the phrase, the words from the great Martin Luther, that word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go this mortal life also. The body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Brothers and sisters, keep on preaching. Brothers and sisters, keep on praying. Brothers and sisters, keep on believing. Brothers and sisters, keep on going. Why? God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. We thank you, Lord, for the story, for the reminder. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. When we are tempted to boast, remind us 
of the worms. Remind us of the danger. Lord, help us to live this week so that you alone get the glory by what we say and what we do. And we thank you. Evil endures for a moment. But God's kingdom is forever. Help us to live in the light of that reality this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. This podcast is made possible through the support of listeners like you. Come see us on the internet at www.keepbelieving.com. We'd love to hear from you this week. Join us for the next podcast from Keep Believing Ministries.